Pubcast. The Greeks had a word for that that they used in the New Testament, kenosis. That means to empty yourself. And that's one form of emptiness. That means that, well, maybe, maybe I won't do what I want today. I'll do what somebody else wants or my partner. Instead of fighting about what we're going to do, let, let me just empty myself and let the other person have some say in the matter. Welcome to the Liberated Healer Podcast, where we touch on a variety of topics in the world of spirituality, energetic healing, and everything in between and beyond. Take an adventure on a shooting star with your hosts, Gina and Linnea, offering their wisdom, guidance, and everlasting love and support. Hi, everybody. This is Gina Cavalier, and today I have Thomas Moore on. He's an author of The Eloquence of Silence that is coming out right now on New World Library and 24 other books about bringing soul to our personal lives and culture, including the number one New York Times bestseller, Care of the Soul. He's been a Catholic monk uh, starting at the age of 13, where his parents let him go off and do that, and then became a university professor and then a psychotherapist and has dedicated his uh, with excitement and love uh, to talking about soul and spirituality and much, much more. So welcome, Thomas. Nice to have you. Thank you, Gina. I'm very happy to be with you today. Oh, we we are so excited. So you can you give us a little bit of context? I know just a brief history of who you are for the people that are learning about you right now and listening to this. Sure. Briefly. Well, you already said that I was a monk for uh, 13 years, actually, in the Catholic uh, Catholic Church. And uh, I left that when I was 26. I left, people always ask me why. I left just because it was over. It was like, some, there are parts of your life that are over and you move on. That's all it was. Yeah. And uh, so then eventually I found myself getting a, a doctorate in religious studies, which I love. I love to, I mean, I love studying religious studies. It was the best thing in the world for me. And uh, I, I focused also in uh, counseling psychology. So I got, uh, I've been practicing as a therapist for, I don't know, 40 years. Probably. That makes me about a hundred years old, I guess. And, uh, and then, um, I, I've been, uh, for people who might understand, I have been very devoted to the psychology of Carl Jung for many years, although I'm not a Jungian analyst myself. I've decided, I, I felt I was a muck and that was enough for belonging. I don't want to belong anymore. Just be myself. And, uh, and I go in my own way. And uh, I've written all these books about the soul, as you said. And, all different aspects like work and sex and uh, spirituality and religion. And, uh, uh, and I'm, I'm just interested in how we can deepen our experience of just every aspect of life. So that's why I've written all those books. I, I can't stop. They just keep coming. And so I might as well keep doing it. And there's so many way, different ways you can get into pulling apart what you've written about about the difference between spirituality and soul and about how the difference of you know 
learning from all the different religions and embracing that and being okay with that. But today we're really going to try to focus a little bit more on the, the new book you have out, which is, as I mentioned before, The Eloquence of Silence, which I think is such a great transition at this time, because this is the place where people seem to be the most uncomfortable. Yes, the book is, is Silence is in the title. It's one way of, the book is really about what, uh, about emptiness, which is an idea that comes out of the East, especially from Zen Buddhism. And uh, it's not known too, too much, I think, in, in the Western world, but it's a very, very rich idea. I think it's a very, very important one. It can apply in so many different ways. And uh, being silent or quiet, I prefer the word quiet for what I do, uh, mainly. Uh, I don't want to have, I don't want to be too, uh, have a demand of being silent. But a quiet life makes some sense to me. And I think our world is too noisy and too active and has too much going on. And we need some emptiness. And the way that you described it in the early parts of, of the book is that you can find this quietness or emptiness in anywhere. It could be an empty chair or in, we don't have to constantly fill every part. And that seems to be a programming that has just been around us all the time. And that is maybe causing anxiety and unbalanced life by feeling like we have to fill everything. I think that's really true. Uh, it's just a natural, it seems natural, or I guess that word really means unconscious, that, uh, that when something's going on that is the least bit disturbing and upsetting, we want to fill up our lives somehow. We want to eat too much or uh, we want to be too active doing too many things or be around a lot of people. We think that might help. And I, my book is just the opposite direction, that uh, the emptiness that comes along. I mean, emptiness is part of life all the time. You, your friends, your friends leave, they go off and move or they some die and and that they live, they leave a gap. That's an emptiness. That's some form of emptiness. Uh, people get divorced. That's a huge emptiness. People are sitting, a lot of people today sitting in their homes, and they don't have the partner with them anymore, and the place really feels empty. Mm. So that that kind of emptiness, it's funny, I have to be careful, though, because there's a kind of emptiness that is really the the symptom, the uh, the problem of emptiness. And then there's emptiness that is the solution. Uh, they go together in a way. So we, we have to be clear when we talk about emptiness that way. Yeah, there's, especially when a major life event happens. And I'm wondering what you, my my feeling about a lot of this is that when we first came to this evolution, we didn't have as much emptiness because we had our place in the tribe. And when we fell down, the other people would pick us up and when people passed on, it, there was an understanding of death and rebirth, and we were connected to the earth and the soil a little bit more. And it just seemed like a natural progression. And now we have all family living in all different parts of the world. We're separated. And so I think that this is actually not something that was inherently in our either spiritual or soul. So I wanted to see your take on that. That's a really good point. I think that's exactly what's happening. This emptiness is a subtle idea. It's not nothing too too not too easy to grasp right away. 
uh, because like what you're describing there is more uh, how a culture might be uh, help people not be empty in the bad sense of the word because they're, they're dependent on each other or they're closer or they we we might think we're closer with the modern uh, communications, but actually we're more distant uh, in many ways. You think of the, how often the word tele is used, like television or telescopes. That word means distant, like from a distance. So we are distant people. And, uh, that means that there's a lot of space around us and uh, we need to be connected with each other. And this spiritual emptiness that I'm writing about, or a soul emptiness, is something else. It's about not not uh, focusing so much on yourself, for one thing. Like emptying out the self, that's what a lot of spiritual uh, leaders talk about. Emptying the self. So uh, even that's even in Christianity, to empty yourself. Uh, the Greeks had a word for that that they used in the New Testament. Kenosis, that means to empty yourself. And that's one form of emptiness. That means that, well, maybe maybe I won't do what I want today. I'll do what somebody else wants or my partner. Instead of fighting about what we're going to do, let, let me just empty myself and let the other person have some say in the matter. So there, there are many opportunities during a day to empty yourself. That's one way of looking at it. And when you do that, actually, then we get closer. And I think the modern world doesn't understand this. The modern world thinks we have to be actually, we have to ourselves feel filled up constantly. That's not necessary. And just taking your point, what you mentioned, say a divorce and that, that somebody leaves that hole, kind of what I'm getting is that if you run to fill that hole with someone else, that you might not be looking at that you might be grasping at something that really is going to not serve you because you haven't had time to process the whole wound. I think that's an important point. The example that you gave of people getting divorced and uh, not uh, allowing themselves some time uh, between before they find somebody else to fill up the gap, uh, that, that empty space can be very important because uh, First of all, because as you say, you need to process what's going on and not just let it happen. If you don't process it some way, that, that means uh, reflect on it and consider what has happened. If you don't do that, you might jump into something else and, and you'll, it'll be the same situation, the same thing, because nothing has happened in the meantime. And for something to happen, here's the general law of emptiness, for something to happen, you need some empty space. You need some space for the, for it to happen. So, um, and the other thing is that I think that you also have to just feel what what you're experiencing, and that can be felt best, I think, with some empty space. People say that they say, "Well, I think I'll go down to the to the to the river or to the ocean or something. I'll go up, climb a mountain." I heard someone say that just the other day. They're going to climb a mountain because they just they just need to get away from everything that's happening. You need to uh, to take it in and consider in the larger picture what's going on. So there's so much to gain from allowing some emptiness in those kind of situations. I heard that you know, somebody had asked you in another interview about where would be a great place to start 
And you did mention nature. Nature is a great place to start if you don't understand how are trying to learn this process. Yeah, we have to always go back to nature. Uh, the natural, we are part of the natural world. That's who we are. And the way the natural world works, the way it, it, it's dynamic and what it is, whatever it is, I was mentioning water and mountains. It could be forest. I'm just talking to you. I'm looking at all the trees around me. Uh, I live in the woods and, and, uh, that kind of uh, connection to nature and see what happens. Like I see some tr trees that have fallen down because of a recent storm and there's some trauma there. They need a therapist, you know, a tree therapist, really. They need someone to go in and say, well, I, I can sense the, the, the disorder, the, the suffering in nature now. And if you do that, you also learn some things about how to deal with your own life and your own experiences. And, and you, you kind of, I think what you do in nature is that you get the support of the, of the natural world. It's like you're not alone. And the natural world can give you the kind of uh, fuel to, uh, to continue and to go ahead. Yeah, I love the, I've been studying a lot about Nikola Tesla. And he, he says, if you put your hand on soil, there, there's, and there's actually energy and electricity in the soil that will, will get to your hand. Isn't that amazing? What was that? Isn't that amazing that you could do that just uh, just by touching the ground? And I think we know that. Or just by going up to the top of a hill or a mountain, you you get a view. And it's, it's not just physical. It's not just that you're looking around and seeing the space around you. You're, you're discovering what it means to have a broader view of, the, of your life. And I want to ask you, because I do have a lot of colleagues and friends that are suffering with all kinds of in illnesses are coming to their life. And you'd mentioned all, uh, another time about how, although this is very painful, that this might be an awakening of the conscious. And could you explain that to some people that might need to hear something like that? Absolutely. I would go so far as to say that every illness is an initiation and initiation. Uh, it's uh, that means that it it's a ritual sort of that takes you to another stage, even if it's a very small one, another stage in which you can be a deeper, more sensitive and more intelligent human being because of it. If you think of it that way, instead of seeing illness as something immediately you've got to get rid of, that this is an aberration, it's obviously not an aberration because everyone gets sick. Uh, as far as I know, most people get sick. And it's not so unnatural. It's just that it's something that we can enter into and not just see physically. Um, it drives me nuts, I have to say, when I hear medical people only talk about the body. When when someone walks into a medical a center of some kind, it's it's a person with a heart and soul and a a life and a history and relationships and everything. It's not a body. There is no such thing as a human body. So, uh, we are persons always. There's never a point where we just we are just a body. And I'd probably say that when we die, it's not just a body either. So uh, I think we ought to get over that. And that's one of the cultural issues we have to deal with because that's in the air around us, that we are bodies that way. If you think of illness, 
as a chance to become more of, of a person, d- depending on how you deal with it. That I think would, and I know from, I, when I wrote a book on medicine once and I, I visited many hospitals and I talked to patients and many, many of them told me that they wish they didn't have to have their illness, but they're better people as a result. Wow. I can really understand that. And then I loved how you say it should be mind, body, spirit, and soul. That that the spirit to you and the soul are two different things. Can you break that down a little bit? Yes. Yes. I have given so many talks at conferences called mind, body, spirit, and there's no soul there. Well, it's, it's not just me. There's a 2,000, 2,500 year old, uh, custom or tradition of referring to body, soul, and spirit. The mind doesn't get too much attention. That's kind of a very modern thing. Uh, so it's mind, it's mind, it's body, soul, and spirit. That's the tradition. And the soul part is usually seen as a link between body and spirit. It's like you have this, you know, the spirit, which is wonderful. Uh, it's, uh, it gives you a chance chance to transcend the world as you know it, to go farther and uh, to even go beyond your own individual life and connect with others and get to know so much more. The spirit is very important. And there's a, there's a holiness about the world and about life. And so religion is part of that spirit or spirituality is part of it. On the other hand, soul is also important, but it's in a whole different direction. The soul is at home, in your house, in the food you, you are making and buying. It's uh, having friends over to dinner. It's, it's having a nice bedroom to sleep in. It's uh, all those things that are very close to home, so to speak, very, very close to, to your life. That is where the soul is, primarily. There's a there's a fragment of it, a piece of it that is, overlaps with the spirit, but according to the tradition. But for the most part, it's very close to your life and how you feel. And, and the great value in the soul is attachment, to be attached to your life mm-hmm. and the things around you and the people around you. So um, that's a very different value because so many spiritual people talk about detachment. And I feel too that's a trouble that uh, they talk about uh, mind, body, spirit, but no soul, and they lose all these other values that are extremely important. Extremely. And so, spirit is uh, in kind of your context, what you're speaking of is where we maybe study about religions and read and, and kind of ingest the information of the different, our, our universe and hold the universal truths in our spirit. And the soul is like, wow, I feel like I should live here. This is where my soul is. Yes, exactly. Okay. It feels a little bit more connected to the body and earthbound. Yes. Yes. The body is, is, is really, was very close to the body. I think that's a very good thing to see. It's, it's uh, close to the body and it's close to this world. It, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be negative about spirit. Well, that's why I'm trying to be careful because that's not the point. The point is that uh, we need we need both things. We need body and spirit. We need soul and spirit. 
Soul, as I said, traditionally for centuries has been called the link, the midpoint between body and spirit. It's the thing that connects the two, body and spirit. These that that sentence I get from uh, some uh, philosophers I've read in the in theologians in the uh, in fifteenth century Italy. Uh, they say that very thing. They say that uh, the soul is between the spirit and the body, linking both. And if you don't have soul, the body suffers and the spirit suffers. Wow. Okay. And then also this practice of going back to space, leaving behind something that is no longer working for you is very hard for us in this, in who we are today in this 2023 realm, right? Leaving a, a, say a friendship that no longer serves or no, no longer is working. And it just seems like a constant thing, but you're so fear of the loss uh, or a relationship or a job. Um, from the people I speak to leaving, going to find their life purpose, which they, they're so fearful of all the attachments to whatever that is. But so they're, they don't leap into that thing. But from what I got from your book and, and a part of this uh, filling up this space and creating this space, if you get to leave some of those things that are no longer serving you, with grace and love and uh, understanding that they brought a whole world to you, right? It does yes. bring room in for the other things. And can people, this is such a huge thing that people are struggling with right now. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's painful to, to leave the things behind. On the other hand, it's life. Life moves. It doesn't stay the same all the time. It's not static. Life moves, and the only way it can move is by letting go of some things. You can't, there's no other way. You can't just keep piling up new things all the time and new people. That's not the, that's not one of the laws of nature. One of the laws of nature is that they, a, a tree falls like these trees I'm talking about, I'm looking at that are falling over. They're leaving room for other, other trees and other things, maybe other things altogether. And so that that's the law of nature. We can walk out there in, in the woods and we can see this law and take it to heart for ourselves that we, a life is about movement, about moving ahead, moving along, and about letting go of things that are, have, have served their purpose, that are, have been wonderful, but now it's time to say goodbye to them or maybe just say, I'll see you a little bit later. You don't have to leave everything completely but to allow some some emptiness that's what i'm writing about here that we that we need to be able to feel to stand the emptiness and see its value and therefore not be so upset when the emptiness comes along and i think that's why uh, monks some monks uh, go to like maybe in the old days they go to the desert or they go into a monastery or something um I've known quite a lot of monks who have left the world behind. And they do that in order to uh, not be so influenced by all the things going on in life. And they think that they can focus better. I'm not saying everybody should do that, although I've always said I think everyone should have a little monk and nun in them. Uh, but it's, 
but just that uh, that's how it's done. Uh, sometimes it's good to to either yourself choose to find an empty space or some empty time for yourself, and sometimes it's good to allow the emptiness that life gives you to allow that to happen and not interfere with it too quickly. Do you kind of believe whatever is meant for us will never pass us up at some point in our life? That, you know, if there was a knocking at a door that was our calling, eventually we'll get there, even if we've ignored it a hundred times. And <laughs> or... well, I would like to say that I think that for for most of us, we, we find our way eventually. But I think the, the world, the way it is right now, is, is in pretty bad shape. Uh, politically and in so many other ways, that's a big symptom of how we're living. It's not it, people are saying, oh, what's the solution to this? It's really quite simple. We have to live differently. And one of the, we're talk, what we're talking about here today is living differently, of taking a look at the modern world we're living in and saying, this world is making us sick. There's something wrong here. All these murders and guns, gun problems, you know, shootings of, of children and and groups of young people and so on. It's like yesterday, I think there were two different shootings, three different shootings that were in the news. I mean, this is this has just happened. No, is it just because for one reason or another, some simple reason? No, it's because how we live uh, that this is happening. People like people who are, people are really losing control of their emotions and and they're not finding meaning in life. And they are losing their connection to others, their feeling of connection to others, which is a gift of soul, I would say. A gift of soul to be connected to other people, feel that, to feel empathy. And we don't have those uh, those feelings nearly as strongly as we need them to survive as a society. And that goes into the other emptiness, which... That that's not a positive emptiness, which is this severe loneliness or feeling separate from others. And it isn't natural. And I think a lot of people know that I'm writing a book called Surviving Suicidal Ideation. And a lot of that is feeling disconnected from the world around you and your family or and the loneliness that and and wanting to be reborn in a way so it's like well, maybe if i can get a, a, a almost like a, if i can hit like restart on a button they actually want to get to that other side where they're rebirth but they don't see a way out uh, and but i also believe that a lot of these people that are doing these things they were they were suicidal before they did these things they their first suit they first l- stopped loving themselves and a part of that is wanting to be su- suicidal, but then it kind of grows in an, another negative way. So what do you think about that kind of context? Well, I'm reminded of a book by a friend of mine, James Hillman, who was a, a very profound depth psychologist who died a few years ago. But he was a very close friend of mine and mentor in a way for a while, and he wrote a book. One of his earliest books is called "Suicide and the Soul," and uh, uh, he he suggests there that the he, he makes a distinction between this 
thought about suicide and and then trying to prevent people from actually doing it. He he, he tries to say that the the thought of suicide itself can be of some value. It says something, and we have to be able to read it. Like for some people, that might mean I have to end life as I've known it, or I have to I have to end. I have to go through an ending somehow that's very painful and difficult, but I have to do it. I'm just overwhelmed by the need to to end this life. And so that is a kind of emptiness. That's an emptying. It's like saying, okay, this life is not working for me. I've got to cast this one aside and see if maybe find another one. Find some uh, some answer for myself that will allow me to live. Uh, and uh, that is, I think that's close to our theme of emptiness here today. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what I always like to comment is, is that you, you always do get on the other side. There is an actual rebirth. <laughs> it's just, it's really hard to imagine when you're in the dark hole. And I'm sure you hear this a lot in your treatment with patients. Totally. Yes, yes, you you have to face that 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 time where maybe maybe the job you've been in, the, the job you've wanted all your life, the thing you want all your life, shows that it's empty. You've you've maybe you finally have that job and not what you really need after all. That is a very common experience. Yes. And so we discover it's it's emptiness in that bad sense. And uh, we have to kind of let it, we have to let those things go. That is not easy. It's a very deep thing, this theme that we're talking about. And I wanted to mention that uh, people all over the world, not here in America, as far as I know, probably maybe some uh, people from other places, but all over the world, people uh, chant a hymn to emptiness. It's called the Heart Sutra. The Heart Sutra. They chant it. You can go on YouTube and, and you can watch as the Dalai Lama chants the Heart Sutra. And uh, people also write it out in calligraphy. It's so important to them. Every day, some people write that uh, out in calligraphy. And if you ever to read the Heart Sutra, it's not long, it's like a page and a half. Uh, and if you read the Heart Sutra, it's the word empty is used like a hundred times, constantly being used. Like everything is empty. Everything. Your head, your nose, your mouth, your ears, everything is empty. Everything you own is empty. That means that is it's not as full of value as you think. That there's it's nothing is is absolute. And and you've got to empty out. So what I'm saying there is that um a lot of the people of the world know how important emptiness is. And they've made it into one of their primary spiritual teachings. And we, we don't do that because empty seems so contrary to our, our, our habits of filling up and buying more things and having more experiences and knowing more people. To go in the opposite direction seems almost un-American and not modern. But uh, I think I, I'm mentioning the heart sutra because if you're ever wondering wanting some support for uh, your ideas of emptying out, read the Heart Sutra and read it every day for a while, like everyone else does. See what that, uh, what that does for you. Yeah, and we'll link everything down below for everybody. But I love you, you said ritual because um, 
and I just feel very called to ritual. In the beginning, it was felt very weird because it was like, oh, you're very hippie girl or something. But I've come to in my spirit and my soul and a lot of the people around me were realizing that ritual has such a, a charge or an energy to it that is fundamental being being human. Absolutely. Yes. Clearly, uh, any any kind of ritual is, uh, but the way I usually think of it is that I, I define it. Ritual to me is any action that speaks for the soul rather than for some practical purpose. It doesn't have to be a spiritual or religious uh, thing. You can have ritual of uh, of eating at a certain restaurant once a week, and that can that can give your heart and soul something. Not just your body, not just the food itself. The ritual aspect of it actually makes your life, it gives your life a level of meaning. And, uh, and so I would say that, uh, we could, if we had more ritual in our lives, that we probably, in that kind, I don't mean a kind of just superficial ritual, a ceremony that you go through. Yeah. This has to be something that is really meaningful to you and you, you understand it to some extent and you, you take it in, so you make a part of your life of what you do and what your habits are. Enchanting is a good thing to fill up space with because, it, and now, like you said, you just put it on, on a channel and just let it play. And when you're going through darker moments or feeling really alone, you just put this on in the background and you're feeling all grumpy. You put it on your background and you, you have, all of a sudden, you just feel kind of lighter in the space. And then you forget why, and you're like, "Oh, it's, it." The whole energy around me has kind of, you know, changed up, and it's yes. so cool. Yes, you have to be. I think that it's also a thing that's difficult in our world is to be sensitive to those kinds of, um, uh, oh, what would you say, the atmosphere of the place in which you are, or the um, things that are invisible that we don't see the invisibles too well. And yet, uh, for centuries, people have talked about how important it is to relate to, to the invisible world. No, that could be something as simple as love in your life. That's invisible in a way. I mean, you, you see it when it's acted out, when it, but in itself, it's, it's there. When it's there, you can feel it in a room, but you can't see it. And if we could be devoted to those invisibles, uh, that's what ritual is very good at, at uh, relating to the invisibles without explaining them. It's another thing. We want to explain everything. Ritual allows you to relate to something that's important without having to explain it. Um, you just said one of my signs right now that I've been calling for, which is called the invisible world. I've been calling that a lot lately. And every time it comes to me, I just smile because that's sort of my, I don't know, it's just my new place where I just see there's such an invisible world for us out there that is so supportive and loving and we're, it, we're never alone. And that's what the, the loneliness where we talked about filling it in with spirituality or even religious context and things like that. I'd like to just talk a tiny bit about, I know it's a big t subject, but I, th I think it's fascinating how you explain that um, you can take different parts of religion if you're not, you don't want to jump all, all the way into one. I mean, being a Catholic monk, 
you learned all about that, but you are inspired by Buddhism and all these other cultures. And how does, and that's such a big, how does, how do you grab from each one? And why is that a, okay, what is your ideology about that a little bit? This book we're talking about, I like to mention it uh, because I've kind of lost now, track of it. Yeah. Wow. The, uh, yeah. The you know, old violence. Uh, that, that book has stories. It's a book of stories and commentaries that I've written, but a lot of them are traditional stories, but a, quite a few of them are from the Sufi tradition. That is from Islam. That's the character Nasruddin. A lot of those come from the Sufis. A lot of them come from the Zen Buddhists and, and emptiness is really important in Zen Buddhism. And I'm so happy that this book was endorsed by Zen Buddhists, endorsed oh. by uh, by really wonderful people who are Zen Buddhists, and it also has uh, Christian elements in it because I I've been a Christian monk, a Catholic monk, that's still in me. I mean, I still feel that that's part of my life, and it's something I try to incorporate into my life today. So I love that this book has at least these three. It also has a great Jewish story. Uh, about the, the man following a carriage, about the rabbi who follows a carriage, and so and there are other stories. So, to me, that's that's my ideal to have, to try to have the traditions represented. I think the traditions are really important. I don't want us to lose them, but you don't have to be a member of them. You don't have to sign up. You can you can, you can take what you want what you need from them. I understand that there's a spirit these days of uh, not, not stealing from other cultures. But, uh, but I don't think that's what we're talking about here. We're saying that we, as, as human beings, we have created these different ways, approaches to the infinite and to the spirit. And uh, we, we would be so more enriched that way if we could uh, take what we can from, from many different traditions. That, that's what I've done most of my life and why I, why I, again why i like being having been a student of religious studies to explore all the traditions not just intellectually but to take them in and to make them part of who i am and who you are what also makes us more sensitive to say for example you don't understand islam and there's this world conflict going on having some uh, understanding empathy of what what is something that is passionate or what they are called to, to be surrounded by. And so I, I think that it brings more empathy to different cultures. So I think that in itself is a big yes. help because if more people were empathetic to other people's mm -hmm. belief systems, we would. <laughs> well, we have a history. We have a history where people thought that, that the most important part of, of the spiritual life or religion was belief. I think we're getting beyond that now. But it's not about belief so much as it's a participation in life by means of one of the traditions. Or the traditions are a filter to help us see some things that otherwise we couldn't see about our lives. And and so they they don't have to be about belief and you don't have to then say this is what I believe and it's and I I hate the people who don't believe the same way. That doesn't make any sense. But if you can see that the spiritual life is very subtle and you can learn a great deal about how to be that kind of person yourself by, let's say, 
knowing more about Islam or knowing more about Judaism or knowing more deeply about Christianity, one of the things I did, and I did it, long after I left the monastery and left Catholicism, really, was to translate the Gospels from Greek. And I published those translations. And uh, and I, I've, as I did the translations, I realized that so many of the words that I was taught are not there in the Greek. They're not there. They're different. You could, you can very, very accurately find different words for them, and it makes such a difference as to what you're experiencing. So, to me, that kind of work then opens up that tradition to other people. I, when I finished that, I thought, "Here are the gospels for anyone." They're available to anyone, just as so many people like to borrow from Buddhism and love the Buddha without becoming Buddhists. You can do that, and you can love the great teachings of Jesus and the Gospels. You don't have to be a believer in that very hard no sense. Yeah, I think I heard that you uh, have a rabbi that you speak with often or uh, have consulted with, and I think that's really yeah. fascinating. Um, I have my own rabbis that I can call on. Well, I, we mentioned that maybe you'd lead us into a little meditation. And just first off, so thank you for all the people that you are reaching out into the world on a continual basis with your words and dedication to supporting all of these uh, spirits and souls to rising up together in this community. And just each one of us embracing each other in a positive way. Everything that I've heard and written with you has been so uplifting and, and interesting and helpful to, you know, the tribe that needs it right now. So I just wanted to give a final thank you on that and see if uh, you are interested and ready to lead us in a few minute meditation with your energy in it. <laughs> I'd be happy to do that. I mean, it's an experiment. I don't usually do that, but I would be happy to. And I do want to, before I do, though, I'd like to thank you, Gina. This has been a very good conversation, very intelligent and very real and down-to-earth and and uh, felt. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much. So, let me just say a word in advance. I like to lead soul meditations. Uh, which is different from a highly spirit, spiritual meditation. Remember that the soul is connected to the world around you. So I think it's a very good idea sometimes to meditate that way. So I don't suggest freeing your mind of thoughts, of worrying about distractions. Your distractions to me are meaningful. They have, so if you have distracting thoughts or, you know, something you're, you get an itch in your arm or something like that, that's part of the meditation. If you hear sounds where you are, uh, and uh, the sounds there come into your uh, attention when you're meditating, I think that's a good thing. Pay attention to the sounds that come. Uh, take the world in in your meditation. Don't try to keep it out. Uh, don't try to get anywhere. At the end of it, you think, well, what was that? There was nothing. It was empty. That's what a Zen Buddhist would say. It's empty. So. So that's what I'm suggesting you now. So just take some time. Take in the world as it is right now around you. Realize how 
valuable, precious it is in this moment to be in this world, to be in your body with all its sensations, uh, good and bad. Think about the other people around that maybe after meditating you will want to connect more deeply than usual. And here's a theme for meditating. Pleasure. Life of the soul is largely about pleasure. And we often don't get much support to living a life of pleasure. And so we tend to overdo it and react against the pain. So I would say consciously and artfully, think about how you can bring more simple pleasure into your life. The greatest pleasure that the philosophers have talked about is friendship, to be with your friends. It's a deep pleasure, so important. And maybe lastly, you might think about how you might find pleasure in the art, how important it is for your life to have good images around you, good sounds good music, whatever that music means to you. What kind of music? Good images, good so that when your eyes are looking at things, that they be beautiful, have some meaning, some depth. And, uh, and then I would suggest that you find some way to express yourself. If nothing else, by uh, singing a song, doing a little dance, finding some way to bring art into your life that you are doing as well as watching and listening to. So all together, let's live in this world and love it and realize that the very depth of the spirit is in the very heart of the world in which we live. Beautiful. Thank you. Okay. The Eloquence of Silence coming out May 23rd, 2023. Just a beautiful writings filled with a lot of energy and love and support and other books from Thomas More. And thank you so much for this hour today and time. And I appreciate him over at New World Library. Thank you, New World Library. Thank you, Thomas More. Thank you, Jada. Until later, bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find us online at theliberatedhealer.com, on Instagram at Liberated Healer Podcast, or on Facebook at The Liberated Healer. Give us a follow, subscribe, send us a message if you so feel, and thank you for your support. Yes.